senior producer, Josh Long. And I just pulled our video associate, Tara Kelly, into one of our edit bays. And well, I do kind of have a weird question for you, Tara. Okay. What, what is it? Do you believe in any cryptids? I don't even know what a cryptid is. What's a uh, cryptid? So a cryptid would be an animal that some might argue isn't real. <laughs> Maybe there's not, quote, scientific evidence for it. You know, Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot. There's lots, but also Mothman. Do you think any of them could be real? I don't. I, my gut uh, reaction is no. I don't, I don't think so. But I don't know. Now you're getting me to think about it. Well, you live in Chicago. And Mothman has a history in Chicago. And not to scare you, but in 2017, there were 55 sightings of Mothman in Chicago. In 2017? Yeah. That recently? Yeah. I'm going on vacation next week. And I was wondering if while I'm out, you could do a little bit of research on Mothman. And when I get back on Monday morning, you could maybe run us through some of the facts that you find. I would love to do that. Season 2, Episode 6. Is it real? First of all, I just want to say I'm Josh Long, senior producer, Grotto Network. We have Tara, video associate. We're going to be talking about Mothman and some other cryptids. And we also have a new video producer, Kevin DeClute, in the studio with us. He's helping record. We asked him like five minutes ago if he would help us record, and he said yes. I'm here. Say hello, Kevin. Hello, Kevin. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> This has been one of my personal hardest projects to ever approach at Grotto because this topic of the supernatural, it's such a big topic. It's hard to narrow down like what my favorite part of all that is. So what I think we landed on, Tara, were some cryptids that kind of live in our areas, right? So Mothman is from... A lot of Rust Belt states, but I know you live in Chicago and it has a big presence there. Yeah. Yeah. According to my stats. Um, yeah. <laughs> Mothman-reference.com. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so also just north of where we're recording right now in South Bend, there's a town called Dewajack, Michigan, and they have the Dewey Lake Monster. Have you ever heard of this, Tara? I have not heard of this. So the Dewey Lake Monster is also known as the Sister Lakes Sasquatch. Um, it's kind of the same as Bigfoot, but I think it's more like leathery, scaly skin. Think of like maybe a reptile version okay. of Bigfoot. It was seen in the 70s. I think a cop even testified that he had seen something. And then even closer to South Bend, near Elkhart, Indiana, there's the cable line monster you're shaking your head 
I've not heard of this one either, but I'm intrigued. Supposedly, there was like a wreck or a farming incident along this road. And ever since then, there's been an entity that has, you know, caused passer buyers to get flat tires. And then once they have a flat tire, it kind of like scratches their car or shakes their car. They see it walk by in their rearview mirror. That sounds terrifying. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty tough stuff. Going back to why this is the hardest podcast ever. Like, I have never seen any of those aforementioned cryptids or monsters, so to speak. Like, with my eyes, I haven't. But all you can do is, like, read accounts and other people talking about how they've seen it. Did you have anything that you ran across when you were reading that was like, this seems like a trusted source or this seems like totally not trusted source? Uh, there were a couple of things. A couple of people had given like what they had witnessed. One thing. So if you like, if you Google Mothman, all these like terrifying images come up. It's like huge, dark creature. But then somebody said, a biologist said that they thought it was actually like a sandhill crane was what what they were mistaking it to be. But then when I Googled a sandhill crane, it was not scary at all. It looked like if you look at the difference, I'll show you this. Okay, so there, all the images of Mothman. Yeah, just that one on the, maybe one of the ones on the top right, just describe that, what the Mothman looks like. A huge black winged figure with red eyes. It's like gigantic. It's like, in like smoke so it looks extra scary <laughs> but then when you google the sandhill crane it's a cute little guy yeah it's just a bird it's like a skinny bird so again too. google image search one of those top right images of the sandhill crane how would you describe that to the listener it's just a just a nice looking bird it does have a uh, red near its eyes oh. which is why i think they thought it was the sandhill crane it's a clue but to me there's like no comparison between the two of them. So um, I thought that was kind of funny, actually. Yeah, I think Tara not believing in Mothman is really more just a defense mechanism because we know that she just moved into her own place. Like, <laughs> I think she's doing all this Mothman research. It might just be a little bit of a scary thing. That, to confront that that might yeah, be a yeah, possibility. Yeah, yeah. I Kevin. Think, I think she's <laughs> just like not allowing herself to really believe in it right now. Well, maybe my opinion will change by the end of the podcast. I don't know. Maybe it will be. <laughs> I had vacation last week, as you guys know, and it was a great opportunity for me to be like, I'm not going to focus on the podcast. I'm not going to think about this subject at all when I go down to Alabama. Just going to get out of it and come back afresh when I get back to South Bend. But before we even got to our condo in Gulf Shores, Alabama, we stopped in Foley, Alabama. And we went to a candy shop for the kids. We're going to go to a candy shop for the kids, then to the tea shop for me, because you know I love tea, Tara. Yes, you do. (laughs) We shared some with the team earlier this week, but you weren't here. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So we went to the candy shop and the kids were looking at the candy. I have three daughters. They're going through the aisles, trying to get them to not touch stuff. And all of a sudden, I come across this row of stickers, and like a third of the stickers are Bigfoot, Foley, Alabama, or I want to believe Foley, Alabama. And I was like, 
this phenomena is following me down south. But we moved on to the train museum between the tea shop and the candy store. The kids were like running around looking at all the trains. And I was telling my wife, Teresa, about all the stickers I had seen. So she was like, well, let's just Google it. Red-Eyed Devil, Yeti, it has funny names, but is it real? If you stop in Evergreen, that is the town we just went through before we came here. The answer is yes. <laughs> so the city council voted unanimously to make Evergreen the official Bigfoot capital of Alabama. More people are coming together and telling stories and comparing notes that are identical to mine, said a pastor. We've seen the eyes of this animal. They realize <laughs> that some people may think they've lost their minds. When I heard people talk about it, I didn't believe it, Pew said, but when they look at it and see its eyes, you will believe it. If I had one wish, it would be that I wish you could see what my eyes saw. What a great, that is a great wish. Oh, wow. <laughs> so as you can tell, listening to that audio, Tara, some people do think Bigfoot is real. And as he said at the end of that interview, if he could only wish for one thing in the whole world, Tara, it would be that your eyes could see what his eyes saw. <laughs> Anything to weigh in, Kevin? What, what do you? How do you feel about that? Well, let me finish this story of Foley, <laughs> Alabama, because we did go to the tea shop. Okay. And I asked this really nice lady. She ended up hooking me up with like two types of fruit tea. Kevin, you tried one of them earlier this it was, week. It was delicious. Thank you. Is the elder melon? Yes. Yeah. She also gave me a blueberry green, which is delicious. I haven't shared any of that with you because... Keeping that to yourself, huh? I don't have much left. So she was a super nice lady. Her name was Robin, actually. And she was talking to me and like just being so nice about tea. Felt like maybe I could build up the courage to ask another person about Bigfoot and Foley. Yeah. Quick question for you, for you. Mm -hmm. Is there big, are there Bigfoot myths in this town? No, I've heard, but uh, no. There's the there's the Catman, cat the Catman down in Orange Beach. In fact, um, there's yeah, Catman. There is. Look it up. You should ask your son about uh, man bear pig. Oh, no. cat bear pig. Cat bear pig? That one I haven't heard. That sounds like it's an exaggeration. Cat bear pig. I still hear about cat bear pig. And that was when he was chess. That was when we were in middle school. Is that my son? Yes. Don't believe anything from middle school. Um, that is so cute. Yes, it's adorable. Take a picture of that. What did you um, say, Catman? Catman. So look up that because that's down in Orange Beach. And they do, and they have a beautiful, um, if you're in Orange Beach, go. You're, you're close to the Gulf Shores Park, the park there. Take the kids and walk the trails. It's amazing. You may see some alligators. You'll definitely see some some hawks and, and some of the nesting birds. Um, and maybe Catman. And maybe Catman because, yeah. 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 Cat man. There's so much to see. Right. There's all the cat man. That's my first thought too. Is this half man, half cat? What what is this? Sounds like Batman. Sounds like a superhero. 
Bat Batman. <laughs> no, I'm not saying Batman. <laughs> Catman. This was all before we checked into our condo. <laughs> so I tried to put this whole thing to rest, you know, like I'm really gonna have a vacation here. So I, I was able to forget about all that scary cryptid stuff for a couple of days. Just went to the beach and one day our family decided to go visit Golf State Park. As we started walking and we were getting to the first markers, we got a map, and here are some of the trail names. Um, There's Rosemary Dunes Trail, where we were later told that the Florida Rosemary, it's a really cool plant, is known to grow. Um, Then there's Rattlesnake Rattlesnake Ridge Trail, where uh, that poisonous aforementioned snake is very common in southern Alabama, so it's named after something that lives there. And then right between those two roads is Catman Road. <laughs> it was it was actually pretty funny because like the the first person that greeted us didn't know like anything about Catman, and I had to point out to her that hey, like you are saying this Rosemary. She was like giving a tour, saying like, oh, this is Rosemary Trail. They have the Rosemary Bush, mm-hmm. and this is Rattlesnake. The rattlesnakes are in this part, and I was like. So why don't you think Catman <laughs> is somewhere on this trail? Like, what makes you think all these are named accurately after things that live here, except this road? So I got to thinking more about Catman, but that guide was also super nice. And she later took me into someone that was, like, in the offices there at the Gulf State Park. And she, like, pulled out this dusty book and told me that... <laughs> There was a tribe indigenous to that area way back in the day, and they would brew this plant that had really high caffeine levels. So think like Red Bull or Monster or something. <laughs> and all the like young warrior guys would have this competition to see who could chug the most Red Bull before they would like puke or like have to stop <laughs> for one reason or another. And whoever could drink the most was like considered the warrior of choice for the year according to legend one of the winners of this monster chugging contest went feral afterwards and joined a like a bobcat family (laughs) so it's kind of like a tarzan like a reverse tarzan sort of story um see that when like when you're talking about catman i was wondering is catman the size of a man or is he the size of a cat? Like, is it a cat that looks like a man? So unfortunately, while the story is true, there's very little supernatural about it. It's just a man who decided to go, like, live in the woods, basically. Were there, like, pictures of Catman? Or did you just have to, like, leave that to your imagination? It would just be a picture of a man. <laughs> make a little cat ears with his fingers. (laughs) So just like it was satisfying for me to talk to someone knowledgeable about the actual subject at hand, Grotto Senior Editor Josh Nome talked to Father Aaron Mitchka recently about UFOs. Josh Nome found Father Aaron just a few floors up from where we are here at the University of Notre Dame. We're on the first floor of a building and he's on like the third or fourth floor anthropology floor yeah he's an anthropologist and a priest and they're going to talk about ufos like i said and also mysterious light beings that once visited him as a child so 
pretty crazy out there stuff. Don't worry. When we come back from this interview, we'll be back here with me, Kevin, and Tara in the studio. We got way more about Mothman to come. Father Aaron, thanks for sharing time with us today. Really excited to dig into You're some welcome. of these things. My pleasure. Um, can you just maybe just start by telling what your what your position here is at the university, your area of study, what what you spend your time with right now? Absolutely. So um, I'm joining the faculty this coming school year in the Department of Anthropology. I just finished my uh, doctorate from the University of Michigan, and uh, my research is on Christians in Egypt, and I'm really interested in how different kinds of Christians interact, how they um, make space together. So how do they build churches, houses, and even transform the natural landscape of Egypt, which has a lot of historical significance, especially for Christians. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. So you wrote this piece about UFOs for us, which is, which is great. I'm so, I'm so excited to share it. Mm -hmm. Um, But you begin this piece by talking about an experience or maybe repeated experiences you had growing up. Yes. Where you would wake up and see a floating light in your room. Can you just kind of like expound on that a little sure. bit more? Well, I just want to let the audience know that I am of sound mind. <laughs> <laughs> but, we have and, a tinfoil hat down I, here. I, <laughs> I, unfortunately, I no longer experience these, these strange things. But really, for about two or three years, um, uh, I would say at least once a week, I would, I would wake up and just see uh, sort of a, a hovering lights. Um, and it tended to be very um, peaceful. I, it wasn't something that, that you know, scared me. Sometimes maybe a little bit, but uh, I never really shared it with anyone because I just thought it was bizarre. Maybe that this is what everyone sort of experiences. And, you know, I, I have uh, family members who sleepwalk. So maybe it's something in the in the genes that we've been, I think, I think it might be even more common than, than most people realize. Mm-hmm. But yes, for about for about uh, two years, I would experience it. What, so when you look back, I'm wading into anthropology here, sure. which is like an area that I know nothing about. But yeah. when you think back on that experience, how do you make sense of it? Like, what do you what does it yeah. mean to you right now? Well, so I mean, I'm an anthropologist of religion, and one of the early theories that uh, famous anthropologist anthropologist developed was that um, in the human person there are two selves. Like, there's this sort of thing that comes out at night, you know, you see, you have dreams or visions and, and this would be sort of a universal experience in that. And so primitive people needed some sort of explanation for why there are sort of two personalities that reside in the human person. So this, this nocturnal um, soul in a way, animism. So that's, uh, you know, that, that has sort of its appearance early on in, in the history of the discipline. Uh, now I think, you know, we'd probably look to psychologists for some sort of explanation. Um, though the people I study in Egypt, um, uh, really pay attention to their dreams. Hmm. Um, they, uh, they would have dreams about me when I, you know, I would show up and they're like, oh yeah, I saw you in my dream last night. Oh, wow. I knew you, I knew you'd, you'd be coming. Oh, wow. Um, they would have dreams about, um, holy people. Uh, and in fact, uh, uh, Coptic Christians will uh, have very formatted images of saints so that they can recognize them when they appear in visions or in dreams. Oh, wow. 
So uh, the sort of the connection between that dream space, dream world, and and the, you know everyday life is 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 pretty uh, important. One of those ways in which maybe the veil between what's visible and what's invisible in our world absolutely. is maybe kind of torn down, right? Yes, absolutely. That's and of course, I mean, uh, dreams play a, a big role in the Bible too. Um, but that's that's super interesting to think about. Do you, looking back on that experience, do you, do you, you're, you're talking about it in terms of like how you're approaching a profession as a sociologist. Yes. As a person of faith. Yes. Do you, do you look back and feel comforted by that? Do you feel like it was some kind of a divine manifestation or like, what does it mean to you? Well, um, for a long time, it didn't mean anything. Um, I just bracketed it as sort of the uncanny, something beyond explanation, um, now looking back, you know, I, this is 20 years in the past now. Um, I do see it as, uh, a moment in my life when, uh, I was making pretty important decisions. You know, that's right around that time when I started to think about becoming a priest. So I, I do think that it, perhaps it was sort of God knocking at the door mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. Um, sort of helping me appreciate that there's a lot about this world that I, that I didn't understand and I still don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. In some ways, too, um, you know, an experience like that, whether it's explained by psychology or an actual you know, physical phenomenon or whatever, is almost irrelevant mm-hmm. because of what it what it actually means for you or how it might shape your experience in the day to day. Right. You're yeah. feeling through that experience. You're yeah. feeling God's closeness. So that's right. Right. And and I think um, the feeling is important. Right. I mean, this it's um, uh, sort of spiritual gurus, saints, and, and all traditions would would really want to know what, what was the state of your heart when you were experiencing hmm. that. And uh, this, this author that I cite, Jacques Vallée, uh, notes that in a lot of these, you know, close encounters of the first kind, you know, <laughs> with these strange beings, that, that a, a common theme is that people are at peace. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Except for animals. Animals tend to not be at peace. Oh, you know? interesting. So dogs or uh, livestock, they tend to, to sort of panic, but but that's not shared by humans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they can sense that something is maybe off or out of the norm. That's right. And yes. they don't have the categories perhaps to like leap, to make a leap to think about what right. it could be. And who knows that maybe they intuit that um, so a common request is for livestock or an animal to be taken in the vessel. So yeah, yeah. Perhaps <laughs> they know more than we do. do. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah. Um, okay, well, let's... So around UFOs, I just yes. it's fascinating to me that <clears throat> a couple years ago, we have uh, footage from Navy pilots yes. encountering what they call unexplained aerial phenomena. yes. And it's on, like it's on the, it's footage from the from the fighter jet, yes. and they're talking about it. Like they're obviously confused That's with right. the way it's moving. This gets released out into the world. Everybody's yeah. kind of like for a day is like that's really weird. Yeah. And then we just continue going on living I like know. nothing happened. I know <laughs> what is going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it it is incredible, and um, I, I'm I'm surprised uh, also because. People still find it hard to to accept, you know, uh, despite the evidence. And you know, I, I I hang out with with quote unquote religious people who kind of 
pretty quickly accept a lot of other stuff that's that might be hard to believe. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a man died and rose from the dead, um, <laughs> for, example. You know, for example. So uh, that that we have pretty, um, I mean, it's not sort of uh, 100% convincing, but pretty strong evidence that there's something strange out there that we really can't explain. I am surprised that it's not sort of keeping more people up at night. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even for myself, yeah. this, this, as we've been leading up to this month, I'm mm-hmm. kind of like, how deep do I want to go into this? Because yeah. it's unsettling. Like yes. it, it really raises a lot of fundamental questions. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Uh, and just the, it's interesting to think back to the different ways in which this phenomenon might have appeared to us throughout history. Yes. So I've heard you talk about this, but maybe you can expand on this a little bit more about, um, you know, in recent times, UFOs have appeared to us and we've kind of understood them yeah. according to the cultural paradigms that we've got. Yes. Like we understand a technological world right now. Yes. So a lot of what we see is in that form. Mm-hmm. Maybe that goes deeper? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, and here, again, I'm indebted to the work of uh, Jacques Vallée and a few others that have um, done what actually anthropologists tend to do, which is comparative analysis. We We look at something that seems a little strange and then we try to find other things that are perhaps similar, and then just do a comparison. So what uh, Vallée has done in, in his work is look at uh, encounters, for instance, with the good people, fairies, um, mm-hmm. and uh, the UK and uh, Brittany, for instance, and uh, northwestern France. Um, and in that comparison, there there are some pretty striking similarities uh, that these encounters tend to happen sort of at uh, the periphery in a way, and, you know, forests or pastures, mm. sort of beyond urban centers, tends to involve um, livestock um, and uh, sort of this exchange of goods. And there, I guess also there's like this healthy fear that people have toward this, but um, uh, sort of an understanding that that it happens and um so before in sort of pre-industrial Brittany, for instance it seems like there was a very rich tradition of people understanding that these are spots Hmm. in the landscape where fairies reside and you just you just walk carefully past them yeah um and i i i appreciate that kind of analysis i think it really opens up a bit more of what you know what might be going on yeah um and I don't have the answer, unfortunately, <laughs> right. not yet, at least. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's kind of the whole point of what we're doing this yeah. month is like, in some ways, the questions are almost mm-hmm. uh, more fun to ponder. Um, do you have other examples from just history from the other areas of the world where these kind of that, that veil is a little thin? <laughs> yes. Well, um, uh, one good one would be, uh, and again, it's it's there's, it's not a sort of tight comparison, but uh, Egyptians, uh, Egyptian Christians believe that saints can transcend the bounds of space and time. So um, there is a modern saint that, that died only a few years ago who is believed to have been able to travel throughout the world. Uh, she's, she was the mother superior of a convent in Cairo, um, but had encounters with people in Brazil in Germany, and even sort of drew a few of them wow. to, to come visit her oh, convents and wow. in, in Egypt. So, um, and this is, the, it's widely held, the, the suwah is, is, is referred to in, in Arabic, the travelers. So not exactly UFOs, perhaps, though yeah. you could ask, you know, are these strange creatures angels? Are they, yeah. I mean, are, what, 
or what sort of order do they belong? Yeah. This, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Not even, I mean, there's stories, right, of Padre Pio by locating, exactly. right? So, yes. Um, yeah. It's hard for, like I said, we don't have the categories to understand it properly. Um, but there's obviously something, something more yes. going on there. Yes. Yeah. And of course, uh, the further you sort of dig into the online community of of which I am just a casual observer, right? <laughs> I I want the order to know. I, I just observe, don't contribute, at least not yet. Um, but you know, you you do see sort of theories about um, perhaps these visitors are an advanced form of of humans. Yeah, that we've you know we um, in my introduction to anthropology class we talk about human evolution. We've been evolving and you, we will continue to evolve. And yeah. perhaps what we're seeing are our um, you know our, our offspring you know many generations down the road who, uh, as one theory might have it, are coming to to warn us about the dangers of nuclear warfare, for hmm. instance. You know, to yeah. stop us from from dropping the bomb. Yeah, yeah. My mind goes to, as long as we're on the topic of um, harebrained theories, <laughs> <laughs> yes. my mind goes to um, maybe different dimensions, right? Mm-hmm. And thinking, you know, yes. for someone who's in, in two dimensions, three dimensions would be incomprehensible. But yes. for us in three, the fourth would be Absolutely. something we just don't have capacity to understand. We don't have a capacity to understand it. And um, and again, this sort of raises the question of the animal kingdom. I mean, is there, what what do some of our... Uh, animal brothers and sisters sort of observe that that we can't appreciate. Yeah, you know? right. Um, and that that sort of brings me back to sort of again in many of these accounts, it's the you have the dogs that are running around, and also you know they they perceive something that's off uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, that we don't quite we don't grasp. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, UFOs. I mean, a lot of times these conversations go to. Um, the the universe that's so much bigger than we can we yes. can comprehend right and what it mean and almost if you just look at the math right it's almost hard to uh hard to understand that there couldn't be something else out uh-huh. there just given the laws of probability um so however these things are manifesting for us <laughs> i guess the real question is like what is it what does it mean um what do what conclusions do we draw from that what does it mean about how we understand ourselves yeah well, I think the first lesson is just a bit of intellectual humility, you know. Um, the uh, There's an argument that you could make that science fiction has actually kind of poisoned the water in this conversation mm. because it it sort of only presents one option as to what these events are, that they are, you know, uh, small green men right, from <laughs> yeah, another right. planet, yeah. right? Um, whereas you know the the sp- the spectrum is quite broad as to what could explain this. I, I mean, I don't think we even understand how broad it could be. Um, which I think again is is an invitation for a bit of humility, um, and to sort of appreciate the evidence for for what it is, which is not a sort of it's not a conclusion. It doesn't answer the questions but it, it invites the questions that can be asked hmm. you know and i that's i guess my hope is that both within uh, my church <laughs> that we we sort of um square up a bit more to what this could mean um but also you know as a society um i think this is this is a mystery that can bring humans together you know yeah, right right yeah in an area of so much a time of so much division yeah yeah the last question I've got for you is just um, just as a as a person of faith, um, 
how how you think about you know, this. Um, <laughs> really, what we're talking about is the nature of belief, yes. right? And the kind of reigning paradigm right now is empiricism. That mm-hmm. really, the only thing that you should you should really trust or believe in are yeah. things that we can quantify and measure and and test and prove. Um, and faith, this is something that you've given your yeah. life for, is yeah. something beyond that. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you can just maybe talk about what this area in terms mm-hmm. of extra phenomenal <laughs> beings, what that might tell us about or teach us about faith. And is it, I mean, is it foolish to believe yeah. things beyond what yeah. we can and what dispositions we should bring mm-hmm. to to the world of, of faith and belief? Right. So I, I'm going to say something that may not seem like an answer to your question, but I'll bring it back. Um, I think one of the greatest dangers and sort of religious belief is to see and God just a reflection of yourself. And, and in fact, that's a common critique of religion is that what you're just worshiping is just some sort of version of your, yourself mm. or your society or, or things you want to be true. Um, so, I mean, that, that critique has value in that people have made that, made that mistake uh, throughout history. Um, God, and I believe God exists, uh, is going to be strange. When God presents himself, hmm. it's going to be strange. And um, and I think that these sort of experiences of the uncannity are, are a healthy reminder of how strange God hmm. is. Yeah. And um, and even sort of in God trying to communicate Himself through the person of Jesus. All right, Jesus was a pretty strange dude too, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. that's as relatable as God is going to get. And still, we're like, right, what did you mean by that? You know. <laughs> but this is God trying to communicate to humanity. All you know, generation after generation, not not necessarily just to you. Yeah. So of course you're gonna you're gonna see humanity and all its weirdness, yeah. sort of embodied in one person. So yeah. I think that's it's a it's a reminder of, you know, we know God uh, speaks to us when it's like, what was that? You know, <laughs> it sort of jars us and uh-huh. calls us to see the world in a new way. Yeah, that's great. This has been a great, enlivening conversation. I think I, I would like to get maybe a couple beers and talk for another couple hours at <laughs> some point. Anytime. <laughs> it's all really good. We appreciate your time and for sharing your words with us uh, at Grotto. It's been really fun to You're explore these questions. A so, pleasure. Thanks. back here in the studio as promised and i want to take an opportunity for me and kevin to just pick tara's brain a little bit can you give us a sense for where this supposed creature has been seen like chicago yeah but where else uh so it started in point pleasant west virginia um in 1966 where two couples they're on a double date and they were driving and they said that a large gray creature whose eyes glowed red when the car's headlights picked it up, was following them, and then it had 10-foot wings. And then following this, I think there were about 100 sightings within the next year. But that's where Mothman was born, allegedly. We mentioned 55 sightings in 2017, and you just mentioned like the, the number 100. 
just the sheer number, do you have any theories on how so many people could be mistaken about something that like you don't believe in? Like what what are they seeing? Is there mass hysteria involved here? Yeah, they just said they were seeing a large creature. Um, I think that once one person reports it, Josh, I think that once um, like one person reports something crazy, that it's just in the minds of everyone else and that anything that they see, they would also, if, if it looked bizarre, even if it were like faintly not familiar to them, they could, they could think it was Mothman. That's my, my bet. So one person sees like a garbage can blow across the road, Mothman. Exactly. Another person sees a cat, Mothman. Another person sees us red heron. Catman. No, yes, Mothman. Moth- <laughs> they see Catman, they think that's Mothman too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> First of all, if Mothman was in West Virginia and then Mothman's in Chicago, is that the same Mothman? Well, yeah, when I was... Looking it up, I think they were trying to differentiate the two different Mothman, Mothmen. Um, <laughs> so I'm not sure. I, there may be multiple Mothmen. Yeah. Like, did he get on the Amtrak? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you must have. But I will say you mentioned specifically that Mothman had wings. Yes. So presumably he could fly between a, f- a few Midwestern states, right? That's true. Like, he's not seen in California and then, like, New York the next day true but these were like this was a big span of time so it was like in west virginia it was from 1966 to 1967 and then it came back it or a different version of it came back in 2017 in chicago so like what was it doing in between that time or where was it is there any evidence that it can like phase in and out of reality i think i've also heard that there's some sort of like foreshadowing omen aspect Mm -hmm. to it so there was a the collapse of the silver bridge in 1967 and some people think that mothman appearing this was a bridge that connected point pleasant to i think somewhere in ohio and people thought that mothman was warning them that the silver bridge was going to collapse um or they just said when they saw him they felt doom like something bad was about to happen what else would you feel? What happy? Else? You wouldn't feel happy to see a no. 10-foot moth. So I spent like three days researching only Mothman. So everything <laughs> was Mothman. I was getting Mothman suggestions on YouTube which is also terrifying. But yeah, I the other day I was going for a run. I didn't run during the day, so it was like 8 p.m. and it was dark out, but I had to get it in. So <laughs> as I'm like running, every single thing in the distance to me was like, is that Mothman? Is that Moth? <laughs> I didn't know. It was because all I did was research it for three days. Um, so it was definitely in my head. But that's how these people are. If they think, if someone sees Mothman... So I also fell into the trap is what I'm saying. How clearly would you have to see Mothman to report it to anyone? Like how sure would you have to be? Very sure. I would not go. So you think these people? (laughs) I don't know. They could also just be crazy. I don't know. Well, maybe like, is there any, anything in the reports of 
where that says maybe he's like uh, from another dimension. And maybe that's why it took so long for him to go from West Virginia <laughs> to Chicago. It's like someone opened up the portal in Chicago in 2017 and now he's he's broke through. But I think that's one thing that's way cooler about Mothman than Catman. Like Mothman is this creature that's clearly not a man that just went out into the woods to start living with moths, right? This is like the basic premise of it is like unbelievable. Even if there were more sightings or even more pictures, I don't know if it'd be very hard to believe that something like that existed. Within within our universe, yes. Yes, Kevin, within <laughs> our universe. <laughs> that's kind of how I was feeling like these are all just myths and I've shared this before but one thing about my own personal like faith journey that's always bothered me it's like you have to to a certain extent believe in something supernatural to have faith and so I feel like I'm always looking for clues and stories like these of something supernatural that does like really could exist if you see a ghost isn't that kind of proof that like an afterlife exists? So I kind of came away from that Catman trail <laughs> at Gulf Shore Park a little bit disappointed. And I was telling my family there on vacation, like there's a lot of extended family, a lot of cousins, a lot of brother and sister-in-laws and nieces and nephews. And I was telling everyone around the adults table about this topic of this podcast And I was just like, yeah, and I personally have not seen anything supernatural like myself. Like, I don't have any stories myself. And right away, I don't know why, my mother-in-law was like, well, one time I took this medicine after a surgery and I went out of my body and I was floating around in the room and could look down and see myself sitting in the chair below me i was like wow okay and then my sister-in-law jen pipes in and when she was in high school near muncie indiana they would go driving out in the country you know as kids do and they came around they came across the cemetery and one of the tombstones was like glowing for like no reason pretty freaky stuff so i was like okay that's two family members and then not to be topped, Uncle Tom, you know, just a classic Uncle Tom, pipes in. And he said when he was in college, mowing lawns, there's a cemetery on his route. And he was going there, mowing. It was the middle of the day. It wasn't cloudy or foggy or anything. And he looks to the side, and out of one of the graves, he sees a table-sized blob, misty thing rising up out of the ground it rose out to about head height and started going towards him and stopped and turned and went to like the side instead and went into this patch of bushes and disappeared and he was like i finished mowing that day but i never mowed around those bushes again like the rest (laughs) of the summer and like all of these people they really believe those things happened and they're in my family 
they have no reason to lie to me and I don't know maybe sometimes kind of have to believe some of that stuff I have a uh, story from when I was a kid and my dad and my sister we went to Civil War Battlefield and there was a house that remained standing and I guess the lady who lived there was like a acted as a nurse and her grave is out in front of the house so we're like we look at the grave you read the little plaque we turned and we looked at the house we looked at the hills and the stuff where the battle took place and everything and then we went back like turned back around and looked at the grave and um, one of us said were those flowers there a minute ago and we all completely agreed the the flower there was hundreds of flowers surrounding this grave that were we swear were not there when we turned around like so we we quickly left the battlefield <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, who knows? <laughs> the flowers didn't get up and leave, though. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't try to hide from you. No, they didn't back into the bushes like Homer Simpson. <laughs> that is how I picture the ghost kind of getting away. That's what I was picturing, too. <laughs> This episode was hosted by Tara Kelly, Josh Long, and Kevin DeClude. It was produced and edited by Josh Long. Grotto Network is director Javi Zubizarreta, senior editor Josh Nome, senior producer Josh Long, assignment desk and event program manager Liz Collarin, web content analyst Michaela Douglas, art director Becky Rogers, associate producer Ben Cruz, Social media manager, Adrian Garalde. Video associate, Tara Kelly. And media intern, Nick Guiney. Special thanks to the Copper Kettle Tea Bar in Foley, Alabama. And this is what one person said. This creature is 8 to 10 feet tall. It has a head as big as a cow's head. His body is brownish black looking but he looks nothing like the pictures of Bigfoot. His shoulders are as wide as a Volkswagen car. At times, it sounds like a dozer walking by a bulldozer. And other times, it's as loud as a cricket. Is that supposed to be loud or not? Not loud. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there are a lot of eyewitness reports of people walking it, watching it walk or run across the road. It's really big, really tall. You can't wrap your mind around how big it is, Ellie. Why did the Bigfoot cross the road? Why?